hello, Greg. Hey, Jason. How's it going? Uh, did not get attacked by any bobcats <laughs> in the middle of the night. So good news. Yeah, pre-recording, only, we, only uh, good news I, to I had brought up to my wife the fact that my sleeping fear was home invasion from a human. Your sleeping fear is home invasion from a bobcat. Um, if yes. that reference means nothing to you, go listen to the episode before this one. Uh, yes. But my wife did decide, now I know that I'm married to her, uh, but you have met her multiple times and I think you know how much she likes you as a person. Um, Maybe. Some would argue, you know, it's very very comparable. I think the, the you know, the bar chart would show that you're pretty close to me in her likingness. <laughs> um, but she really sided with me, I think, on the, the mm. kind of like, the actual Figures. fear that one of us should have. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, there there seems to be some bias there. I have imagined. I, uh, you that's know, what I believe. It's kind of like a, you know, I mean, that's fine if you want to think that way. I mean, it's just, you mm-hmm. know, it's, mm-hmm. it's okay. Um, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll let sure. anybody mm-hmm. who listens to this show tell us uh, maybe if you should keep worrying about this Bobcat situation or just, you know, sleep, sleep soundly. Uh, yes, I did get a, uh, eye mask so that I think perhaps I might be able to sleep more soundly. I have not used it yet. Just got it in the mail. Yeah, you got to warm up. I mean, you can't just, you can't just get an eye mask in the mail and immediately put it on and go to sleep. No, no. I put it by the bed. Nice. That's good. It's it's in position. Nice. It's like a little habit forming thing you did there. You could write an article like, you know, with three steps to wearing your eye mask for the first time. Yeah. Three, three steps to wearing your eye mask after one week of owning it. Yeah. Great. Uh, I could already mm-hmm. see the medium uh, thumbs up coming in, the claps or whatever mm-hmm. they do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, anywho, uh, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, then you're probably weirded out. Uh, otherwise, you already got the hang of what we're doing here. But nonetheless, I'll just fill you in. Uh, this podcast, Greg and I like to share businesses that we are working on because we both have multiple businesses that we have our our, our hands figuratively involved in. And we also have some stuff in life that we, you know, we're trying to move the needle on. Sleep being the one that we talked about last episode, and we'll have an update on that in an upcoming episode. But uh, what do you want to talk about in this one, Greg? I think what we realized last time is that we can go, you know, quite a bit longer into one business if we each just do mm-hmm. one. So uh, what yes. do you want to go with on this, this show episode here? Well, I'm doing a little bit of uh, changing up the uh, only ornaments business, and I haven't mm. shared that story yet, so we could definitely dive into that. All right, that's what that's what I have on my list. Now, my question to you is: Let's say you were a listener of this show, and you you were listening this far in, and you heard one of the two people go, "I'm going to talk about an ornament business," and mm-hmm. the other person mm-hmm. was going to talk about a software as a service online learning platform. Plenty of podcasts for that, so I would probably turn that off. Yeah, you probably that turn that one off. Was Do you think we should yeah. get that one out of the way and like give a little bit yeah. of like a build up to the ornaments? Teaser? Yeah. Yeah. Let's just say the way I even acquired these ornaments <laughs> is worth listening to. Yeah. Uh, it, so yeah, stay tuned. Okay. All right. Uh, I will dive in and I will I will I will bring everyone up to speed, you included, I'm guessing, because you you know, you don't know all the, the details of it. But let's talk about this online learning platform that I have called Teachery. So Teachery has been around since 2014. And I did touch on this story uh, in a previous episode, and I'll I'll do a very quick update of it, um, that or recap of it. That is that I went to MisfitCon where we first met in 2013. And mm-hmm. after I got done speaking, a wonderful little Portlandian came up to me and said, 
uh, hey, Jason, I really liked your story. You know, you seem like a creative guy. If you ever have any other business ideas or things you want to build, I'm a developer and, you know, I'd be happy to work on something with you. And that little seed planted in my mind. And between Misfit 2013 and Misfit 2014, I put together my first online course. And it started with me just being curious about teaching people what I had learned getting sponsorships. So up until that point, um, I'd gotten about 1,600 sponsorships uh, from my I Wear Your Shirt business, uh, which was a crazy idea I did for five years. But then also in there, I had a bunch of other sponsored things. I had sponsored road trips, sponsored fitness challenge, uh, a sponsored trip to South by Southwest. I just did a whole bunch of random things. And, and so I gotten pretty good at it. I'd learned a couple of things. So long story short on that, I decided to make an online course about how to put sponsorship together. But I looked at all the platforms and just nothing, this is 2013, nothing really wowed me. And the ones that did just seemed really expensive. Like I had to pay per customer or they were going to take 10% of every sale I made. And I was just like, really? This is not, we're not like, this isn't rocket science here, guys. We're just selling information. And so I, I basically put some parameters on my own being able to build this and said, all right, I can't code anything, but I can design something. I'm, I'm a designer by trade. Um, let me design up what I think an online course could look like and then give it to uh, a developer to try and build it. And I I didn't think of Gerlando in that moment because he had talked about building like an app or something and that was too big for this. I just thought, let me do a very small version, which ended up being a WordPress site. So just found a WordPress developer that I'd known over the years, uh, told him what I was looking to build, gave him the mock-up, and he was like, oh, I think I could probably do this for like 2,000 bucks. And someone will be able to log into it, they'll be able to click through the different lessons, and even like, you know, download a couple of resources. And I was like, okay, that seems fair to me, I had no idea. Had that built, and once it was done, I sent it off to a few friends and I said, hey, uh, here's this, this course about sponsorships, we checked this out. And to a T, every single person, I sent it to like 10 people, every single person wrote back, course looks great, what is the platform? And that was the light bulb that went off for me that was like, oh, I had trouble finding a course platform myself. I just kind of cobbled one together based on what I thought it could look like. Maybe this is an opportunity to build something. I mean, I'm already hearing from all of these people, not just one or two. I mean, yeah, it's only 10, but it was every single person. So when I saw Gerlando at Misfit, that next time around, I had this idea for this course platform and I had kind of just written some notes. You know, I had my course that I could show him and we basically just chatted at Misfit over lunch and then I think over another dinner about him bringing that to life as an app. And he'd never built an app before. And it originally started out, we still have the domain as createyouronlinecourse.com. Uh, it's actually, uh, for, those, for the nerds out there, it's our staging site. Uh, that may mean nothing to most people, but some people it's fun. And... Uh, about a year after that, I just thought of the name one day driving in the car with with my wife, Caroline, at Tea Tree. And uh, at the time, for those of you who know about Teachable, it did not exist as Teachable. It was called Use Fedora. So, you know, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, mm. headbutting there. Anker's a really good guy. The guy who, the CEO of Teachable, he's a really good guy. But, you know, he never mentioned to me that he was going to make a name so similar. I don't really care. Um, so Tea Tree essentially, after a couple of months of working with Gerlando remotely, it existed. It was an app. It could build courses just like the WordPress site. And we basically from, you know, that summer of 2014, just started promoting it. I really looked forward to using it myself. My wife started making courses on it. And the entire goal of Tea Tree, and I think it's important to really set the stage on this, was 
I never wanted to market or promote it or advertise it. I wanted it to be good enough as a software, as a service, that people would talk about it themselves and that would grow the platform. So all of the background, kind of bringing everybody up to speed on what Tea Tree is and why it exists. Uh, So we're recording this as of May 2019. So that is essentially five years after it started. Tea Tree has grown from $0 monthly recurring revenue to now about $6,500 monthly recurring revenue. And so our total paying customers fluctuates around 120 to 150 um, at any given time. There's people in different states of of customer uh, there. And then we have people who've bought lifetime because we had a lifetime plan for a long time with Tea Tree where you could just literally pay one time. Um, And that's kind of been an assumption that I've tested with monthly recurring things for a while and I'm still testing with with the Wandering Aimfully membership as we talked about last episode. Um, But we don't do that anymore. So we just have the monthly and the annual plan. We're up to $6,500 monthly recurring revenue um, that has grown steadily uh, from that first you know month that it existed five years ago with literally no marketing or promotion. I mean, the only way someone can know about Tea Tree is that they either heard it from me or from someone who used it and then told them about it. Um, so I, I do have a pretty good sense of pride about the fact that it has been built up yeah. to that much. I mean, uh, I think all in total now, it's made somewhere over a quarter million dollars in revenue and our expenses are and have been incredibly low. Um, We've reinvested pretty much every dollar that it's made back into it to make it better. Um, Mm. And and so where we are now, literally as of right now, um, Gerlando has been working a nine to five job pretty much the entire time that we've had Tea Tree. And his job, his role has just grown at that job. He really likes the job. And his interest in online courses has just never been a thing. I mean, he just, he built this because he wanted to build a thing with me. He's never even made an online course, which is hilarious. Uh, <laughs> but that's also like one of those classic stories that you hear with, with people who build stuff. Um, so I, we, we talked about it for months and uh, I'm buying him out. So oh. we, we have a buyout agreement going on. He's basically on board for about the next 10 months, depending on how revenue goes. You know, there's an option for me to buy him out quicker than that. And I will be taking over 100% ownership of Tea Tree. I pretty much actually already have that. Um, we've already signed all the paperwork on that. And that's just, you know, finishing a buyout for him so that I can own 100% of it. I can uh, benefit 100% of the effort that goes in. Because really what we found was I was working about 10 to 20 hours a week on Tea Tree. And I think it's actually more fair to say closer to 10. Very rarely was it up to 20 unless I was creating a new feature or designing something. Mm-hmm. And Gerlando was probably working one to five hours. And and it just over time, when you have a 50-50 partnership in a business, but the the amount of effort that you both put in is not equal, it can be very difficult to navigate. You know, it's like, I feel like I'm working on a lot more, yet we're both benefiting the same. It's not, doesn't feel like a very fair equation anymore. And we just had a bunch of really amicable conversations about it. There were a couple of times where he did put in more hours, but it just really felt like we were kind of like, you know, uh, trying to fit the square peg into the proverbial round hole. So that's where we are with Tea Tree. Uh, I have a freelance developer that I found through kind of like a couple of weird random things. Uh, he's awesome. He actually has a UX and UI background. And for those of you who don't know what that is, that just basically means he understands designing something for usability for someone to actually 
know what they're going to do with a feature set and like the edge cases of it and figuring it out. Um, and we've already been working together for over a month. It's been great. He's been awesome. So he is on board for the next six months. So the next six months are going to be a little tough on Tea Tree's cash flow. No, no qualms about that. But I've kind of looked at this period as like really investing heavily in Tea Tree's feature set, improving just how it it exists, uh, you know, getting caught up on a lot of the different technologies and things, and then setting myself up to have this be an asset, which is really important for me because it's something that you and I have talked about a lot, where I can put a lot more into this and I can get a lot more return, but then I don't have to be the one who's always putting it in. Like I can outsource the support and the other things um, and I can benefit from it. So yeah, so so I've got a few questions. Yeah, yeah, and I do have. I want to talk about future goals because I think those are always really important. Because you know, with a SaaS product, people can have pie in the sky goals, and I don't have those, so we can come to those after your questions. So first, I would say when you when you originally did this, you did it for yourself first, which is often the case with good software building something for yourself, making sure it works, and then you're like, oh, other people could use this. But the question I have is. How did you how did you find your initial customers? Uh, to be honest, Twitter. Okay. So I I had built a following on Twitter from my previous I Wear Your Shirt business, uh, and it, it wasn't a following of online course creators. It was just a following of people who liked what I had been doing through my various businesses. Mm-hmm. So the first customers who ever found out about Tea Tree were through a tweet that I said of hey, we're looking to get like 15 people as our first customers. You'll be grandfathered into Tea Tree for life if you just check it out Mm. and use it. And I think we still have one person of those 15 Mm. who still uses it, still has courses. He's never paid. He's actually emailed over the years a couple of times like, do you want me to sign up for a plan? Like, I just feel bad at this point. (laughs) And I'm like, no, man, that was the deal. Like you were, you tried this thing before anybody else would. You invested your time. Like that meant so much to me. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I did have that at my disposal, but it was only 15 people. So, you know, I didn't feel like it was going to be too hard to, to find that regardless of having a Twitter account with followers or not. Sure. So then, and then when you guys were building this, um, how, how did you, how did you, uh, keep your costs so low? Like, is, is, is this just, you know, everyone that I talk to is spending quite a bit of money on any sort of software, Mm-hmm. How do you think you were able to not spend that much on on monthly recurring expenses? Yeah, the I will give Gerlando a lot of credit. He was very, very frugal with the things that we chose to use as like the backbone architecture of what made Tea Tree run. And you know, I think in the beginning it was literally like Heroku, you know, which is basically like the server and like keeps the site running. We had a domain that we bought through Namecheap, and then maybe we had a bug tracking software of some sort, right. but that was essentially it. I mean, once a year we would buy a SSL certificate. Um, th- there was really nothing else. We used a free plan on Basecamp to manage all of our stuff uh, as far as like back and forth and conversations. Um, we had okay. a Slack channel that we started, which was free. Uh, and really at every turn, you know, even I would find something on like Product Hunt or whatever, like, oh, this looks like a cool thing to collaborate with small teams. And John would be like, we don't need to pay $100 for that. And I'm like, okay. Well, yeah. the reason, yeah. And that's and that's why I wanted to ask that question because I think that sometimes people think that, you know, if you're going to build software or a product, period, it's going to require a lot of capital up front to do it. And what I found through you is that often it can be done 
um, fairly inexpensively and you can have a good enough product where people are paying you enough money uh, without much investment up front. And I've been impressed by that with several of the things you've done to get them off the ground as experiments first without making huge investments in them. Yeah, and I do think it's a really, it's an important step in building a software product of any kind, an app, a web app or even like an iPhone app, is that you try and make it for as little to no money as possible, both in the initial investment and like your monthly recurring expenses, because you just mm -hmm. don't know if it's going to make money. And even if something makes money in the beginning, it may not make money long term. And I saw that with another product that I built with with two other guys, uh, where we made like $10,000 in our initial launch of getting customers. But then like all of the customers quit in the first couple of months. Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh oh, mm -hmm. that's not good. And it's a good thing we didn't right. rack up a whole bunch of expenses. And I think the other thing that's really important there is, and I think most software founders will agree with this, is that you just can't pay yourself in the beginning until you see that it is a sustaining and, and profitable application. Yes. And that's right. where so many people, you start to see somebody come in the door and you go, oh, this is making, you know, I even remember when Teacher was making like $3,000 a month and our expenses were probably $300 a month. And it's like, oh, mm -hmm. well, you know, let's just take like $1,000 each. Like, yeah, we only have the expenses. But what happens is, is that if you ever want to invest in, say, another engineer to come on board to start building things, or if you want to get a, a whole UI refresh redone, which we did, you need the capital to be able to invest in that. And what moves the needle more? Me taking $1,000 a month for a few months, which doesn't, I mean, it's not a huge chunk of money. It's not life-changing money for me, which is nice. I could use $1,000 a month, no doubt. But I know that it's better served for tea trees long-term growth to keep that money in a bank account where then we can you know, issue that money. And then also like paying taxes and other things. Um, so that that's actually been a thing, you know, up until about 2018, I think the beginning of 2018, or maybe the end of 2017, we didn't take a single dollar from Tea Tree, um, except for maybe like an end of year bonus. And that was like 1500 bucks. Like it wasn't even much at all. Even when we had at one point, I think we had like Fifty or sixty thousand dollars in the bank uh, with Tea Tree, which was awesome. <laughs> I also stared at that money all the time. I was like, I mean, I could just have some of it, you know. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'd like to take some of that money. But I knew that there would come a time, and that's actually the time that I've been in these past six months, where I'm buying out Gerlando, I'm paying this other developer a monthly retainer. You know, our expenses are going up a little bit because we have more bug tracking tools and things that are actually really helping us. Mm -hmm. And as as a software app gets more features and does more things, it inevitably will have to cost more money. But we're doing that five years in as opposed to two years in. Yeah. And then the other question I have is more of a mindset question. So Teachery is not well known. <clears throat> mm -hmm. You haven't put any effort into promotion, advertising, that sort of thing. You're not trying to make it big. So um, I think a lot of people that approach businesses, they either are intimidated by other people who have big things, because that's all the stories, right? You hear all mm -hmm. the stories are around the people who have built something that the whole world uses or has, you know, millions of users on a platform or whatever it is. Or, um, or your own ego gets in the way and you think you want to build something big and it may not even be what you really deep down want or it may not serve you which I've ran into personally in my past. Although mm -hmm. the majority of stuff I build, no one knows, right? And I just mm -hmm. don't care. Um, so what is your thought process uh, 
with regard to that, with, with building something that doesn't have to be huge, uh, not uh, making bad decisions because you're trying to be somebody, and then just being uh, okay with its organic growth. Yeah, I think a really important part, especially when you have a partner, is early on, we both agreed that Tea Tree was, for as long as we could see, going to be a side project. So it wasn't like, it'll be a side project until it makes X amount of money, then we'll go full-time, and then we'll try and grow it to whatever. Hmm. We certainly had those conversations of like, hey, at what dollar amount per month could we both be full-time on this? But that was never the goal. That was more of just like, a, oh, hey, this is a fun conversation to have. So because we set the expectation so early on that it was a side project, that made it really easy to never really care about the financial growth of it, as long as it continued to be profitable. That was really all that mattered. And some growth, you know, like just seeing any growth at all is good. Um, there have been times when teachery has gone down a little bit. Um, there's been times we've had big, big spikes. Um, and I can't really attribute it to anything, you know, because I don't mm -hmm. spend a lot of time focusing on that stuff. Um, but I think the other thing, you know, you talked about is ego. And for me, <laughs> this is going to be a weird answer for this. I never had time for teachery to take it up enough mental space for me to let my ego even look at it, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So I've always had some bigger project outside of Teachery that has taken like 80% of my mental bandwidth. Mm. And so Teachery only gets a certain amount of my time. And what's left over, I just, I literally don't have any like ego bandwidth for to put into that. Um, and so that's actually been a really kind of like, you know, interesting thing that that has existed where as I've moved forward these past couple of years, and I've really honed in, I've sold off a lot of the other smaller software products that I have, combined everything with Caroline into our one business. Like now I'm having a little bit more mental bandwidth for it. I'm not actually playing those games of growth as much as I'm trying to play the game of, interesting, if I spend 10 hours on Tea Tree versus 10 hours on this other thing, is that a better exponential return? I mean, mm -hmm. it's a lot like investing, right? It's like, if I put this time in, will I actually get it out you know, better in the long run with, with tea tree than something else. Um, and that has just been an interesting shift recently. I think the other thing that, that I wanted to mention as you talked about that was I made it a point with tea tree where I told myself, I am smart enough to build something like tea tree existed. I built it without looking at any other course platform. I didn't even know how another course platform worked. I just, this is how I wanted it to work because I built it for myself first. Like, mm -hmm. like you mentioned. And in that, I told myself, I am never going to go into another course platform and see how they're doing things because that's only going to lead to one thing. Jealousy, comparison traps, whatever you want to call it. All I would do would then be to obsess over how they're doing things and how we're not. Mm -hmm. And that is a trap that is so easy to fall into in, in any aspect of, of business and, and even in life. And I just told myself, I'm not going to do it. And there have been a couple of times where I've been on the like sign up page of other online course sites. And I have to just check myself and go, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. Like, I already know the features I want to build. The only reason I would be looking at this is to compare what we have to them. And in a lot of instances, it's not a fair comparison. And I think that's also a really big part of starting your own thing, especially if it's a software product or anything, is I can't compare Teachery to Teachable anymore. Like there was a time four years ago, five years ago, maybe I could have, but they 
number one, have almost always been a, a funded company with venture-backed funding or at least angel funding. Mm-hmm. So that is a whole game I've never played. Um, they've always had a team of engineers. It has always been their main focus. And this has always been a side project. So it's just not a fair comparison. So if I go down that road, it's just going to lead me to feeling bad about myself. But it's just, again, it's just not even like apples to apples at that point. And what's great is it doesn't matter, Right. Right. You have something that works, you have something that you enjoy, you have something built the way you want it built, and that's really all that matters. I guess what, you know, what I'm learning from this conversation, of course, um, is that one, you can start something with not a whole lot. Two, you, it doesn't have to become big for it to make enough money for you to see a nice return. Mm -hmm. And and three, you can... Treat it like it's a project and not necessarily like it's a business to start out and see where it goes, you know, and learn from it. So what's next for you? So what, you know, how are you going to try to move the needle from here? Yeah, uh, good question. So I think you'll actually really appreciate this because I've learned a lot of just kind of like investing in yourself from you as well as from my own personal experience. But you really shaped it to me a couple of years ago when maybe we were talking about teacher or something else, but at the time I was kind of asking you some questions on like, what do I think, you know, what should I do next or what should I focus on? And, and your advice was like, where can you get 100% of the return mm-hmm. from your own effort? Mm-hmm. And, and that was eye opening for me. Cause I was like, Oh wow, that's really interesting. And that's stuck with me where now with teachery, that's what I've looked at in, in buying Gerlando out and paying for this developer is that I'm going to pay over the course of these next couple months, you know, all of our cash will, you know, the, our existing cash that we had will pretty much be null and void, um, which is fine because we actually get to build up some expenses for once so we won't have to pay a bunch of taxes. But mm-hmm. um, at the end of that, that to me is an investment in, in six to 12 months, I will own 100% of our monthly recurring revenue. So I didn't have to put my own money into buying out Gerlando, paying for this developer. Teachery had built that money up, which was really nice. So now I get to leverage that money to now produce 100% return for me so that let's say in a year, if if Teachery just grows at its standard rate, it should be at about eight to $10,000 monthly recurring revenue in a year if we do nothing, if I just do no promotion whatsoever. And I now make 100% of that after our expenses, which is fantastic. Mm, so I right. just, I almost... I mean, almost quadrupled the amount of money that I can make from Tea Tree every month in a 12 months time by investing and leveraging money that we already had. And so that's a huge shift is is actually seeing like, okay, I want to own this thing. The second thing is that, and I know this has been part of Tea Tree's growth is that I'm the customer support person. So I, every, you know, every day, twice a day, three times a day, sometimes, you know, sometimes three times a day, I really try to keep it two times a day. I spend anywhere from 15 to 45 minutes doing teachery customer support once to twice a day, which is not a lot of time because a lot of times it's 15 minutes twice a day and that's it. So 30 minutes a day. And I know that someone else could do that. But what I've heard over the years and why I've continued to do it, number one is because I don't hate doing it. So that's that makes it easy. You like doing that. Yeah, I like helping people. And number two is we get 
customers from me answering support requests. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting to see people hear from me because they'll email and they go, hey, support team, blah, blah, blah. And like I write back and they go, holy crap, I'm hearing from the founder. I'm like, well, what you don't know is I'm it. <laughs> like there's no, there's no team. There's no nothing. It's just me. But it doesn't matter because they don't know what they don't know. Right. And and so I'm looking to eventually replace myself in that so that what we've talked about in previous episodes here, and I think what will continue to be a thread moving forward in this podcast is I want to move Teachery's needle toward being an asset that I don't have to ha have my hands in at all. And we have a developer. Maybe at some point we have a product person who's improving product. Um, but I don't see that as a full-time thing, either of those. That'll just be kind of part-time filling in, in little gaps. And then having a full-time support person who manages things. Uh, and I think in 12 months time is kind of when I see that happening. Like I want to get through this period of buying Jolando out, getting this new developer to get us caught up on a bunch of features, um, you know, training someone, finding someone who can do support and really love it and, and enjoy it. And then from there, honestly, I, I really feel like two to three times our current monthly recurring revenue would be great. Uh, you know, the, the kind of the, like the furthest out I've ever thought with Teachery's revenue is my own personal revenue goal that we have with our Wandering Aimfully membership, which is $33,000 a month. Mm -hmm. Cause we kind of like broke down exactly like what's our dream amount of money per month to make for just our lives. Like that's it. We don't need to make more than that. Sure we could, but I just don't want to, I don't want to play the hedonic treadmill game forever. Mm -hmm. So if Teachery beats us to that number, you know, beats Wandering Aimfully to that number, that could be really interesting. But I'm not going to play all the marketing and webinars and advertising and all those games. It's just going to continue to be a word of mouth growth and then just making the product so good that people go, I'm only paying $49 per month for this. They don't charge me transaction fees. I actually hear from a human when I need a support you know, request. They actually develop features that I ask for. Mm -hmm. And it's a really great product to use. And I do believe that you can build a really good software product it takes a little bit longer probably than people with VC money, you know, want to see a return on, but I don't have to worry about those things. Right, right. No, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, you treat you treat that like I treat real estate. Right. You know, like it's a side project. I'm trying to make enough, spin off enough cash flow to make it, uh, you know, a valuable asset to me. And, but I'm not trying to turn into a real estate developer or be a real estate agent. And I would imagine that in your real estate journey, you've been up and down with it too, right? Like at certain times you've been like, I don't want to buy another building and like oh, yeah. go through the oh, yeah. setup. Like I felt like that with Tea Tree over the years. Of course, you know, th there have definitely been times when, you know, especially when like, a and it's probably a good parallel. It's like if something goes wrong in like the build out of a building, mm -hmm. it's like if a bug happens in Tea Tree that affects our users. You know, I I've said so many times to Caroline, like I'm happy that we only have under 200 active paying customers because when something goes wrong, I only get 20 emails as opposed to getting 200. And, and I don't mm -hmm. know that I ever want to get to the place where I have that many customers that if something goes wrong because it will go wrong, that I have to figure out how to make happy and, you know, and, and fix their problems. No, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, I've had those same situations, of course, with buildings, yeah. mostly actually with tenants more than anything else, mm. bad tenants. But yeah, that's a story for yeah. another podcast. Squatters. Uh, before we move away from tea tree and software products, I was going to ask you, do you want to talk about your most recent endeavor, even just like shortly, because it doesn't really exist anymore, but just to touch on that a little bit, because it kind of relates. What do you, I'm not sure what you're referring to. 
uh, sight point? Oh, sight cast? Sight cast, <clears throat> that's what it was. I was trying to remember. Yeah, what so um, at one point, I had a business partner similar to you who was a developer, um, and we started a site called Sightcast, which kind of never really figured out what its footing was, you know, which mm. happens a lot at the beginning. The original intent was to be a quick website builder, but shortly after we launched, suddenly there was 19 different builders, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and that didn't, that seemed to be a commodity race to the cheapest price. Mm. So we didn't want to do that. So then, um, in, in the effort to build a builder, we started to build some features for podcasting, um, and podcasters, uh, and those started, you know, we started to get interest in that. So we kind of switched gears, kind of focused on the podcaster. Um, but we never really kind of figured out who we were for, you know, that, that classic mm. product market fit. Yep. We never, we never really could figure it out. But also me and my business partner had a lot of headbutting mm-hmm. um, where, you know, my background is just much different than his in how I want to go about building a company. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to take a very similar approach that you took with Teachery, which is, you know, small, mm-hmm. focused on the small business owner. Um, and he wanted to go big. So, you know, he wanted to consider venture capital. He wanted to move wherever we had to move to, to find the right talent and run the business. Um, and he wanted to make a name for himself. So I was just at a completely different stage of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we actually did a very similar thing in that he bought me out and um, we just kind of gone our separate ways and moved on. But that business still exists. Um, and it's my understanding that he's doing, he, he switched gears to focus on the small business owner and and not necessarily build something big. Um, and that's actually working for him quite well. So, um, you know, it's still there. I love stuff like that. You know, like I, I, I don't consider that a failure at all. I consider that a try. And it just didn't work the way we wanted it to work, but it's still there, you know, it's still a useful tool. Mm. People still um, buy the software and use the software and, and he's making a great living from it. So all those things are, you know, fantastic outcomes as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, it didn't go as, a, as planned and mostly because of our partnership and wanting to go completely different directions. Yep. Um, and that does happen. You yeah. know, I've had that happen more than once. That's for sure. Yeah. And that, it's that alignment thing, right? Like when you both have the same yep. Values and vision and all of that and and you know I think that's why Teachery has lasted so long as it has with Jordan and that's that's actually part of why I wanted to bring it up because I've had other software products that I built where I even thought I was on the same page with the person I was building with and then come to find out you know it's just like a whole different direction they want to go or they you know misinterpreted an initial conversation and. Mm-hmm. you know, whatever, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't pan out. But um, my focus on that, so my position has always been, and I don't think, you know, this is necessarily a position that everyone should adopt. But for me personally, I just never want to leave an idea in my back pocket. Mm-hmm. So, so I like to figure out a way to bring it to the world one way or another, whether I'm doing it, someone else is doing it, whether it makes money or not, whatever it might be. If I think I have an idea that's worthwhile, or I think I have a better way to do something, 
I never want to leave that in my back pocket. And so I'll try it, right? I'll find a way to try it. That sometimes works against me because that means I'm trying too many things a lot of times. That means I'm not prepared to try it and it doesn't go the way I want it to go. Sometimes I end up in partnerships that I don't want to be in, whatever it might be. But I, I think the thing that, so the thing that that bothers me most would be not trying it. So that in and of itself, uh, moving forward is more valuable than me leaving that in my back pocket. Yeah. And I think you and I both have that in common in spades, right? Like I, yeah. I don't think there's any crazy idea that I, I've hung yeah. on, to, I've hung on to, uh, I've just, I put them all out there. And you know, what's really interesting, I think before we get into the ornaments thing, I just want to remind everybody we have only ornaments coming up, which is just going to be amazing. <laughs> uh, the thing that I find most interesting about testing out ideas, trying ideas, not looking at things that don't work out, not as failures, but just experiences that you have or swings that you've taken is that it becomes much easier to deal with the fallout of something not working than I imagine it does of never doing that thing. Yeah. And, and that's, that's right. uh, I think we're just so in alignment on that of like, I don't ever want to look back and I don't want to say the thing of, oh, I had that idea and I was going to build that. And yes. Okay, great. That's, that's all fine and well to say, but you know, that'll haunt you. Right. That, that's, that's not something fun. So even in a case of like Sitecast, Sure, there was, you know, a website builder popping up, you know, everywhere over the past couple of years. And and so you you took a swing at it and it didn't work out. And at least you got to say, like, oh, okay, well, good. Like I played in that yeah. arena and it didn't work out, but I'm just glad that I tried it and you know saw what came of it. Um, and I've definitely I've definitely had that same thing and I, I continue to do that and, and I run into the same things you do where I'm overextended and I've got too many, you know, irons and too many fires. However, it's also what like gets me going. It's what keeps me excited about all this stuff is chasing down these ideas and seeing if any of them can actually be um, just valid and validated by people who are also excited about them. Well, you know, and that's not necessarily the intent of this podcast, but I do believe that, you know, people are wired a certain way. Mm -hmm. And so what I think often, you know, people ask me a lot of questions that make it sound like perhaps they would have a much different experience in their head than I'm having, mm. right? So I don't feel stress about this. I feel joy about this. I don't feel like, oh my God, I failed at this. I feel like, awesome, I learned something. So the thoughts that run through my head are so positive in nature when I'm going after my ideas that I think that that's what fuels me to continue to go after my ideas, yeah. right? So I, I don't spend much time thinking, boy, that sucked. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I can't believe I failed at that. Uh, I'm overstressed. I can't sleep, whatever it might be. I, I, I just, that's so rare in my life in general that that what fuels me to go after these ideas is inevitably it's a positive experience, yeah, I, I was just thinking about the fact that one of the things I think we also have in common in this, and I don't, again, ornaments are coming, just they're coming, um, is I think you and I, and, and a, lot of, a lot of founders and people who have actually built things have this in common, is that we prepare to be successful. And what I mean by that is you grow an idea slowly. You take it step by step. You get a first version up as quickly as possible. You put it in the hands of people. You try and get people to pay for it. Um, but you also are very thoughtful in the experience of that thing. 
And that for me is why I think most of my ideas have worked out is not because they're necessarily good ideas. It's because I've been prepared on the beginning of it, uh, on the, mm-hmm. the front mm-hmm. the front end of it, so that when someone eventually sees it, I've already gone down all the different routes that I can potentially think of. And I've 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 filled a lot of like the gaps and the things and I've I've shown it to people in enough times where when someone reads the like the sales page for something, they understand what it is. It's not the first time someone's ever seeing that sales page when I'm promoting it. Um, it's been through a bunch of different people seeing it. And and so I think that that preparing for success is also something that you and I have in common, a lot of founders have in common, but mm-hmm. it's not something in common with people who have not moved the needle on even just their ideas. And so they don't right. even have that momentum to move forward with because they haven't felt what that's felt like. Um, so I don't even really have anything to say of like, oh, you should do this. And that wasn't the point. But I just think you and I have that in common as well. Yeah, yeah. I think I think a lot of people feel a lot of pressure in those situations when they don't have a lot of practice. Right. Okay, let's stop burying the lead. Uh, I'm making a note in my notes app here. Uh, it's time for only ornaments. Oh, boy. So I, yeah, so I, I may have to interject a lot on this, just so you know. To feel free, okay. feel free. But what I love about Only Ornaments the most is how excited you are oh my about it. Yeah. <clears throat> From yeah. day one, you have been the biggest champion of Only Ornaments. Yeah. And one of the things that brings me the most joy in my life is texting you updates, <laughs> in particular updates of people who have purchased an actual ornament uh, from me, because it's it's just the greatest, it just gives me the greatest joys in, of my life. I mean- Okay, hold on. Before you yeah. even move forward, again, I told you I'm going to interrupt. I have, uh, this was a couple days ago here, Yes, just sold the last crazy frog with wreath. <laughs> and it's a frog holding a wreath. And I'm not going to lie, <laughs> it's a hideous ornament, but you sold it and someone bought it. Oh, dude, I kept one of those too. I don't think it's hideous. I like it. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I'm one gonna one person's one, one person's ornament is another person's ornament. You know, whatever. <laughs> Hold on, we got a couple of weeks back here. I know there were some flamingos. Yeah. Oh yeah, here they oh, are yeah. Oh, yeah. selling pink flamingos like they're on Sunday brunch on Easter. <laughs> oh, these! Uh, every time I get one of these text message updates, and there's more. Every time I get one, my oh. heart sings with happiness. So, all right, uh, let's get into the backstory of how you ended up with 150,000 ornaments. Yes. So, um, as I mentioned in the previous episode, the way I look at businesses is more like their assets. And I want to build assets that fuel my personal life. And so I look at assets, you know, how vulnerable are they and how, you know, uh, secure are they? What kind of emotional valuable value do they bring me? How can I move the needle? You know, what difference can I personally make in that asset? How effective they are and how efficient they are. So we'll get into details of that later. But so I start there. So this is how this went down. So I was actually looking to buy a car through an online auction um, and a, a nice, uh, 76, uh, Firebird, uh, <laughs> with the T top yeah. and the dice in the mirror, the of whole course. thing, yeah, the yeah. whole thing. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's an online auction. So I'm like, great, I'll play along. So I make some bids, but I don't win the car. So then I'm like, well, there's other things online for auction. Let's check this out. <laughs> I stumble across a listing for 150,000 Christmas ornaments, mostly Christmas ornaments, um, that are for sale as one package. uh, And they were going to be online for sale for bid for the next two weeks. So 
I get this crazy idea of thinking, well, this might be a time, you know, that I can buy something and start my first consumer e-commerce store. And so I call my friend Elizabeth and I say, hey, you know a lot about Christmas ornaments. Do you think <laughs> this might be something I should do? So I drive 50 miles from where I live to a small little town in North Dakota. And I uh, find this, this quasi warehouse brick building that has this uh, basement full of boxes of Christmas ornaments. <clears throat> they tell me I can go through any box. I can look at them, take photos of them, whatever I need to do to be able to make a decision on whether or not I'd like to bid on these items. So I start sending Elizabeth pictures and I say, hey, look up these ornaments. Tell me if they're worth anything. She responds back saying, yeah, this one's worth eight bucks. This one's for sale online for nine bucks. <laughs> I'm like, this is insane, right? I'm like, $9 for a Christmas ornament? Who knew? Like, it's at coffee levels. So I'm like, all right, all right, I'm in on this. So I do the math and I say, all right, I'll bid $1,000, but I'm going to wait to see if anyone else bids. Mm -hmm. So I wait till the very last day. No one has bid, right? <laughs> <clears throat> Get to the last day of the auction. I throw down a thousand bucks. Now, are I you say, excited at this point or are you completely oh. like, what did I just get myself into? Well, no, at that point, I'm still excited. Okay. I haven't had that moment yet. So uh, bid a thousand dollars. Then, you know, wait a few hours. A bid comes through at 1500. Mm. So I'm like, ah, oh, someone else is out there playing my game. All right. All right. So I go to 2000, keeps going up, you know, 2,500, et cetera. So it gets to $3,000 and I'm the highest bidder at $3,000. And we're literally down to the last few seconds. So I'm sitting there staring at my phone, refreshing <laughs> my screen over and over and over again. And sure enough, I win the bid at $3,000 for 150,000 Christmas ornaments. <laughs> now, keep in mind, I've only looked at, you know, maybe 10 of them. Yeah. They're just in boxes, right? And they're all brand new in boxes, uh, individually wrapped in their original packaging to be sold retail. Um, so I, you know, most of them I have no idea. I don't even know if Christmas ornaments are in the boxes, right? <laughs> I, they could have just been selling me, you know, uh, air peanuts or something. I don't know. So anyway, part of the auction is, is that I have to move these items. I have one week from the date I buy them to move the items to my own location. So they're closing down business. They're getting rid of their items and they're, they're moving out of their warehouse that they're in. So I now have 150,000 Christmas, uh, Christmas ornaments I have to figure out what to do with. So I ask them, of course, and I say, well, you guys transport Christmas ornaments. Do you have anybody? And they tell me about Jim, the truck driver. <laughs> so I call up Jim and I'm like, Jim, I need a little help. Jim says, hey, I can help you. Tell you what, I'll drive these uh, for you um, to wherever you need to go for 450 bucks. I'm like, all right, Jim, I'm in. And he, he says, uh, you're going to need a full trailer. I, I, I'm going to have to use my uh, full-size trailer. So sure enough, Jim shows up on that day uh, a week later with his full-size uh, semi-trailer. And we fill the, the trailer with 27... Uh, pallets of boxes stacked seven feet high. So this is, and it goes all the way to the door. I mean, just barely squeeze them in. Jim drives those to Fargo, North Dakota, where I was living at the time. I uh, start calling around 
start looking for space, warehouse space, and calling around to see if anybody has any warehouse space. Can't find any. I decided to call uh, my landlord of the apartment building I was renting downtown. Sure enough, they own a building about five miles away that had a huge warehouse, and they, they said I could have a certain square footage of the warehouse. So I have Jim deliver the boxes there, and now I have 150,000 Christmas ornaments in my possession. Now, hold and on. At, yeah. what, at what point did you realize, holy shit, 150,000 ornaments is way more okay. than I thought? Okay, so that I realized when they started uh, unloading the tractor trailer at the uh, new warehouse that I was at. So interestingly enough, I made all these arrangements without being there. Mm. So I didn't show up at the warehouse where Jim loaded them. He just loaded them. So uh, I didn't see them go from the warehouse into the truck. He just showed up with the truck. But I met him there at the warehouse that I was renting. And suddenly I was like, okay, <laughs> this is a little intimidating. Like, you know, I have to go through every single one of these boxes, right? And that's when it hit me. Like, hmm, hmm this yeah. is going to be challenging. So I, so the point of this project, you know, other than me just being crazy and stupid, like I always am, and wanting to have a lot of fun, was also the reason I did this is I thought, well, my parents, my mother and my stepfather are retiring. This would be a great way for them to have a little side business that's an online business, <clears throat> and make a little extra money during retirement and keep them busy. So I worked out a deal with them where I said, you know, I'll handle the marketing side of it. I'll handle, you know, the sales side. You guys handle the fulfillment side and it'll keep you busy and you'll have some fun with it. So they agreed. They drove up to Fargo from Kansas and they helped me go through, um, with my girlfriend at the time, go through every single box and create a, uh, Excel spreadsheet of the inventory. So we had to go through every single box and find out what was in there, what the barcodes were, you know, what the SKU numbers were and barcodes, et cetera, and create a spreadsheet out of that. So by the time I was done, I had, I don't know, I think it was like 350 different items and 150,000, uh, you know, 350 different SKUs and 150,000 different items. So it was a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know. I'm just going to list off some of these so that I think people can really enjoy visualizing them as they listen to this. So you, you opened up some boxes and you found some carved wooden bobble-headed bears. Yes, love them. Yeah, you found some lighthouses, as you would. Yes, uh, yes. I believe you found a teacher ornament. He's a super teacher, not just Multiple a normal. teachers. Not just yes. a normal teacher. Uh, right. You have some holiday baking bells. Yes. The yes. Uh, I'm really enjoying the Kiss Me Quick lips. Those are mm, good. The like lips. Some, yeah, yes, the lips. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. I, I could keep going, but yes. I just want, if anybody needs to pause at this moment and go, I need to see some of these ornaments. Yes. You can go to onlyornaments.com and you can just right. browse browse through. Okay. Yes, um, you can see all the items on onlyornaments.com. Take a look. Buy some, actually, because my mom is uh, worried she's not selling enough and she's got retirement things to do. I have to ask, so your mom, your stepdad, and your girlfriend at the time are helping you unpack these boxes. At any point, do any of them ask you any like tests of your sanity? Um, no, because by now, all three of them know 
I'm nuts. Okay. Right. right. So this yeah. is nothing. This is not, this is not, oh my God, what did Greg get himself into? This is, oh Here we God, go again. He's doing it again. Yeah. So that's where we were at with the family, basically. Okay. All right. Yeah. Although I, I'm sure they thought to themselves, what did they get themselves into? <laughs> There's yeah. no doubt they thought that. And we did say former girlfriend. So- you know, yes. I'm not well, going to say that have. the ornaments were the <laughs> cause of this, but uh, it could have been. It could have it been. Could, it could have been the been. nail in the coffin. You know, could have been. Okay, that's a good point. That's a very good point. So, so anyway, fast forward. So, uh, you know, launch an online store as you mentioned, onlyornaments.com. Move the ornaments actually from Fargo to Kansas, where my parents live. So they're in the middle of the country. So that shipping going any direction is about equal, um, and costs are low. Um, and my parents can handle it. So Do they, that, are the ornaments at a warehouse? Are they at their house? Yes, they're at a warehouse. Most of them at a warehouse, but some are in my parents' basement. So what we do is they keep some on, you know, in stock at, in their basement so they can easily fulfill orders. Cool. And then they replenish those from the warehouse. And you, you built the site on Shopify. And the reason yes. I ask that is because I'm guessing that Shopify is helping you identify the hot sellers of which ones should stay at their house and not just in the warehouse? Correct. Okay. So at the time I did this, I had never done anything e-commerce online, mm -hmm. right? So no consumer e-commerce online. So um, in fact, I think I asked you. I yeah, think we, I came to you and I said, hey, yep. I got a situation here. <laughs> uh, what should I do? And you were like, probably the easiest thing to do is start a Shopify. You know, you, you kind of helped me get things started from a technology standpoint and an online standpoint. So I, you know, started Shopify seemed easy enough. Um, you know, my parents could make sense of it. I could make sense of it. Um, it's actually great software. Yeah. So, you know, we kicked that off. So then we come to the first Christmas season only two months later, three months later after I made this purchase. This so, is 2018? This is, no, this is 2017. Okay. Yeah. I think I bought them in September 2017, okay. if I recall correctly. So then a couple months later, we're in Christmas season, um, and my parents decide, well, why don't we sell them at the local mall? So now I'm getting my first experience in retail um, on the ground. So, you know, we do this little kiosk in the mall. We take, you know, set up the shop there, and my parents run that um, through the holiday season which was a, a good learning experience and a lot of fun. Not my intent. My intent with this is to be an online mm -hmm. business. So the costs are low, the effort's low. Um, I don't even know if people go to malls anymore. Yeah. Can't remember the last time I've been to one. So um, the intent was to build something e-commerce. Nonetheless, gave them something to do. Uh, we learned a lot. We sold a lot. Um, you do you know, remember it was how much you guys experience. sold in that first mm, Christmas I season? I want to say... Gosh, I, I can't even recall off the top of my head. It was, you know, several thousand, okay. but I don't know what the Under number was. Under $5,000 probably? Uh, probably, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, since then, we've basically been building out the online platform. And the idea has been for my mom in particular to learn a lot. So we haven't been moving very fast. The goal has been, um, you know, take the time to learn how Shopify works how do you build a website? How do you track data? How do you, um, you know, look at your analytics? How do you write blog posts? So for the first time, my mom started writing blog posts. And we should um, probably preface this with your mom is like most people's moms where she has no clue how to set up an e-commerce oh, store. No. Never yeah. done anything like this in her life. Got it. Um, not even like she worked in manufacturing her whole life. 
um, air, air, aerospace manufacturing. So this couldn't be further from what she's ever done with her life. So there's been a, you know, learning curve for her. It's been fun for her. She's done everything though. You know, she's done photos, she's done logo design. She's learning a lot of things. And then I'm just kind of helping her along the way. So it's kind of turned into a fun project from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, where we're at, so, so fast forward to now, um, and we're making a few adjustments. So one adjustment is I can't take on the, the daily burden of this business, right? I don't have the time. I can't put in the effort um, for various reasons. And so we're trying to pare down my responsibility. How much um, have you been involved since 2017 Christmas season? Well, a lot. So okay. because because the learning curve is, you know, I know how to do everything essentially. Mm. So, or I can learn it quickly. So there's a lot of teaching. So they are fulfilling, they are doing the daily, you know, updates on social media and so forth. But I am uh, developing the strategy behind it. I am teaching them how to do these things along the way. So we're trying to pare back my responsibilities. The second thing is, is that we're also trying to keep our costs low. So um, in particular, the main thing that costs money is the warehouse. So we don't have a lot of expenses. We have Shopify, I think is like 80 bucks a month. Um, I think we might have a Gmail, um, you know, uh, G Suite domain, which is like 10 bucks a month. Um, you know, a couple of other ancillary expenses, but nothing of significance. And then we have a warehouse that we're paying, I think I'm paying like 450 bucks a month. Okay. So the warehouse, while not expensive, it will eat into the profit. And that's kind of, you know, the point of this for me, right? So, so I want to make sure that when I break down the asset, that this asset pays off. So I bought these ornaments, I think at 18 cents per ornament. So, you know, Anything expenses included above that is profit, right? So what I want to be sure of is that I don't take on too much expense per year where my profit margin gets eat into too much. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to sell ornaments where on average each each ornament sold is three $3. That's my goal. Um, and so far, I think we're riding at about actually like $6 and something cents per ornament that we've sold. So we're mm-hmm. way ahead of our pace profit-wise or, or uh, gross-wise. I mean, I'm and seeing ju- some, some cowboy riding a bucking bronco for five bucks. So, yeah, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm seeing some so, more profit right there. Oh, absolutely. So so I just want to be sure that we make that $3 mark when all, when everything's all said and done. So what what makes that happen is, one, I have to keep costs low, and two, I need to sell these soon enough. Right. So, so the longer the store goes, the less my profit on this asset. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause my expenses, of course, I'm paying out every single month. So, my objective is not to have a, a Christmas ornament e commerce store for the rest of my life. <laughs> my objective is to sell the ornaments I have in stock and be done. Mm-hmm. So, the sooner I can do that, the higher the profit margin. Right. So that's where we're at right now. We're saying, okay, now we're, you know, summer of 2019. We don't want this to go much more than maybe say two more years or something, maybe three at the most. And so what do we need to do to start ramping up bigger sales is, is where we're at in terms of moving the needle. The next idea is how do we sell in bulk? Mm-hmm. 
And, and how do we move more ornaments than, you know, a few here, a few there. Do you know how many you've sold on average, let's say per month in the past two years, or I guess a year and a half? Mm, per month is kind of tough because the off season is off. Is, yeah, right? it's terrible. You, you're, yeah, you're hardly selling anything. Well, I guess so, maybe just how many have you sold since the beginning? Do you know that number or even close to it? Um, I want to say a couple thousand. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was wondering if we were in the hundreds or if we were over, I think, over a couple thousand. I think thousand. we're in a couple thousand. The interesting, I mean, I have, there's so many questions that I could ask about this, but the really interesting thing that I think for this specific example are the economics of the finite inventory, because yes. you don't want to run an, an ornament business forever. At least I don't right. think you're going to come across another stock of 150,000 ornaments anytime soon. Never know. Ah, so, <laughs> uh, man, you you just never know. Um, so you know, it, let's say let's just look at like a a bare minimum price of three dollars per ornament. Yep. So it's a it's it's a cap of four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That like let's just yeah, say that's right. the potential of the business, right? Right. Right. So you know you're you're right. Like you're you're not going to spend four hundred fifty thousand dollars at an increment of five hundred dollars a month for a very long time. But you, there's also just the cost of mm-hmm. like someone's time having to do this, your time having to be involved. Sure. Um, so I guess my question is, knowing that four hundred fifty thousand dollar number, and I'm sure you've been down this road yourself, is what is a profit margin from that that you feel is a realistic, and then b like realistic in a certain amount of time. Like, let's say that's two years. So here's how, so this business I'm thinking about slightly different. So we have to factor this in, which is my parents are retired. Yeah. The majority, I'm splitting the money 50-50 with them. Okay. And and so a big portion of the intent of this is to give them extra spending money. So um, I only spent 3,000 up front, right? So if, if we... If we if we are profitable every year, then it doesn't matter how long we have it per se. We just don't want to have it forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so as long as we're profitable per year, then the the cash outlay is very minimal. So if I spend you know say ten thousand all in, and we make say let's just go two hundred and fifty thousand mm-hmm. right in the end. I look at it and I say, okay, so how many investments, and say we do that over five years mm-hmm. even, then I say, okay, how many investments can I make for $3,000 and make $250,000 <laughs> off that $3,000 in five years? Yeah. That's how I look at this, yep. right? So when I look at it that way, I'm like, well, you know, there's not very many assets you can buy for $3,000 and in the end of five years have $250,000 in your account. And also have right? fun while doing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So um, that's how I break this down. So to me, I'm saying, all right, you know, maybe I spend $10,000 or maybe I spend 12000 and maybe I make somewhere between two hundred fifty and 3000 300000 uh, That's a pretty great return on your investment. Yeah, definitely. So my my next question, it goes back to your, your goal of moving the needle here, which is, yeah. What are you going to do? What are the next steps to try and do more wholesale, more bulk buys, um, you know, not have this be a forever inventory yeah. stockpile? Well, so I think there's a few a few things that I'm going to explore first without kind of going all in on, 
Okay, so so the first is, is we have a lot of items that aren't Christmas items, number one. And a lot of those, I think, could be made available in wholesale purchases uh, for people that, that you know, uh, work with kids or, you know, like schools or, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, summer camps or um, other programs that might want to buy something at a wholesale price in bulk orders. So we're looking at what items do we have, who would be that target audience for those. So that's where we're at right now um, as one option. Can you just give, can you give the folks at home just an example of what one of those non-Christmas items might be? Yeah. So we have jump ropes, for example. And jump ropes that have handles that are teddy bears. Okay. Um, Jump ropes that are handles that are uh, firemen. Oh, Um, wow. Yeah. So multiple different handled jump ropes (laughs) for kids. Right. So like, who has that? Like, what do you do with that? (laughs) And I have, I have literally, I think, I think I have maybe like, uh, um, 1400 of them. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. My, my personal goal now is that I want someone to buy in bulk one of these ridiculous things, like a a jump rope with teddy bear handles from this podcast. Like that's my now, that's my goal. (laughs) Every episode I need to now mention, hey guys, just let you know, uh, Greg's got a really hot deal on 1,400 jump ropes with teddy bears on the end. Um, We're looking for an asking price of just, you throw a ballpark fair number out there. Yeah, just whatever price. I don't even know, you know? And so, so I've got several items, probably in the, you know, maybe like 50 different items that kind of fit that description. Got it. So, and and some of those I have maybe 5,000 of or 3,000 of, right? So perhaps we sell those at $2 a piece, right? Um, if we're selling other products at $5 or $7. And perhaps we sell those at, you know, $2 a piece, but we sell 1,000 of them, right? In, in one shot, something like that. Mm. So, so that's one thing that we're doing. The, the other thing that we're doing is we're clearing some of our inventory of what we would consider to be the items that aren't worth that much uh, in comparison to some of the, like some of the items we have are, are really high quality ornaments that, you know, literally like I, I sold a, a, a one not that long ago, a couple, maybe a couple of weeks ago for like 26 bucks. Mm. Right. So, so we have some like that too, right. That are, that are, um, you know, like, uh, collectibles, knickknacks that people would put on shelves, um, you know, different things of that nature that go for like 15 bucks, 25 bucks. So I really think this $3 average is very doable, right? That's not a pie in the sky number because of items like that. So if we sell some other ones at a dollar a piece or $2 a piece or something, and we sell them in bulk, that'd be great. In addition to that, we're taking, we're going to take a group of items and we're going to do some summer sales Mm. where, uh, especially in-person sales, um, where we think we can clear several hundred items over the summer for 50 cents a piece, a dollar a piece, you know, just selling them whatever we can get for them, kind of garage sale-ish, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at, at one, my parents' garage and two, um, various, uh, little events around town over the summer. So, uh, you know, like farmer's markets, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So I think we, the reason that's important is I think we can get the inventory down to small enough 
where we can put it all in my parents' basement. Ah. And the moment and the moment we do that, of course, we save ourselves 450 bucks a month. Yeah, you you free up, I mean, you just increased yeah. your ornament sales by, you know, 100 ornaments. Exactly. So yeah. so that'll be a huge win for us. So that's the next step. And then the third step that I'm thinking a little more long term, but I really want to get to is to turn this into a turnkey business where it's, you know, inventory is, is very organized. Uh, the, the way it's marketed online is very clear, crystal clear what the investment is and what the return is. Um, the site is uh, done well enough where it's up, running, looks nice, et cetera, um, where it's possible that I may put this business up for sale as a business mm-hmm. and, and not just sell the ornaments. So that's kind of a long-term strategy that I'm looking at as well. Imagine if you had like one of your best customers who just bought like, you know, 27 cats and dogs. He was all dressed in fur ornaments that she just decided or he that they're like, I just need to buy this ornament business. That's actually what I'm thinking is going to (laughs) happen. I actually think that's going to happen because, you know, look what you just talked about with teachery, right? And look what I'm doing with this ornaments business is e-commerce. I mean, obviously this is the direction the world's going, but what I'm discovering is it's a learning curve if you don't have this kind of knowledge, right? It's without a doubt a learning curve, especially if you've been, you know, doing something offline for your whole life and you're older. But it's very doable. Like, that's what my parents have realized. Yeah. And, and that's what's blowing them away. Like, some stranger in the middle of the night bought three seahorses, you know? <laughs> and and they're just like, what? Like, how does that happen? Yeah. Right? And they've never talked to this person, so they don't understand, you know? They're like, we don't know that person. Who are they? Why did they do this, you know? And and so they're starting to, to come around to this idea that actually they're in their 60s and 70s, and this is very doable for them. I think the accessibility of creating a business of any kind has obviously never been easier, but it's even more accessible to purchase an, an existing business that is already yes. working and just be That's able right. to go, okay, like I, I get it. You know, it's no longer, I have to buy like the ice cream shop that's down the street. And then that right. just changes hands over and over again. It's you buy something that's working like this. The other thing that's super interesting that I, there's, I think this is for both of these businesses, but also all businesses that you and I are involved this, that relate to people, either B2B or B2C, not necessarily maybe the business real estate stuff, but when strangers start buying from you is when you know you're on to something. That's right. Like that's a key indicator that you're moving the needle in some way. And it may not be very much like, you know, the ornament business here is, is we're not catching fire just yet, but people are buying that aren't your friends and family that aren't, you know, the, the folks that your mom knows that she, you know, hangs out with or what have you. And you know that you're actually onto something. And so then it really starts to become the game of, Okay, well, you know, how can we reach out to these customers and ask them, hey, how did you hear about this? That's you know, exactly right. What led you to this? And and that's across any business that anybody's working on. And if you can then amplify those things, and sometimes you'll find some signals that you can't amplify. You know, it's just like such sure. a weird random, random thing. Right. Yeah. But if you can amplify the signals of acquiring more strangers as customers, that I think is a true measure that a business can succeed and that it does have some type of long tail opportunity. Um, and it, it just becomes an interesting, I'm sure you've seen it multiple times over multiple businesses, just like I have, where when you move from that, oh, I know these people who are my customers to, I don't know any of these people. Mm-hmm. 
it, it really does give you kind of a spark of inspiration to go, all right, I'm onto something here. Like this is more That's than right. just a, a little, you know, thing that I was trying out. Well, and we've had people that have been repeat buyers yeah. even, right? Yeah. So like we have no idea who they are. They buy something, they get it, then they come back and buy something else. And we've had that multiple times. So that's really inspiring because then not only do you know that it's they found you, right? And they tried you, but they liked you. And so they're coming back for more. So, and they're obviously the strongest uh, opportunities for sharing with other people. So, so, you know, right now the big thing is, is get the warehouse cost down. Yep. And then the second thing is, um, you, you know, figure out if we can sell some things in bulk. Yeah. Those are our two big, big next steps. That'll be fun to check in on, especially as we keep this podcast going. I mean, I can only imagine we're going to still be chatting here in the next six months, and we get close to the Christmas season to even talk about some some holiday sales numbers. Yeah. Because um, I'm sure you now know, even just with the first year and a half of when that really starts to pick up, which is fun. Yeah. It, and it's earlier than you think. That's like, the thing like you have to August be prepared. Yeah. Like August or? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, basically late August, early September, people are shopping. <laughs> and so you have to be on the lookout for that. The other thing is, is in our particular case, you know, the 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 long tail marketing strategy is what you're really doing is you're finding people that are interested in a particular topic or category, mm-hmm. right? So, so they're not interested in ornaments. They're interested in a gift for somebody who loves bears, Yep. right? So your marketing strategy has to cater to that person, right? Like they're looking for a gift for their best friend who collects frogs, <laughs> Right. That so so that's when it gets really interesting because people don't go searching for ornaments, not the type that we have. What they go searching for or what they find is, oh my God, I have a friend who loves penguins. I'm gonna buy this skate, this penguin on ice skates, you know. That's every time. That's how it works. So so that's the 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 marketing. So doing that marketing strategy all year long matters not just at the holiday season. I need everyone to know that I'm not laughing at anybody who loves frogs or penguins. I'm <laughs> laughing at the fact that you are a legitimate businessman yeah. who is doing this and you could be spending your time on so many other things, but I just, this idea that you have oh, stuck with is just, it, it, it keeps me so excited to get the updates on this business. Well, that's why I earnestly believe I live the greatest life of all time. Yeah. Because I do stuff like this. Yeah. Like it's insane. Yeah. And I just have the greatest time with it. Oh, it's so good. And you get to create something fun for your your mom and your stepdad to to do and make some extra money. And it's funny and silly. And the conversations, I'm yeah. sure when you guys talk on the phone or Skype or whatever, are always like, all right, well, let me know the hot sellers. Like, what, we, what, we, well, you, what are we moving? Seahorses? You know what, What's up? One of the craziest thing is uh, my stepfather keeps finding new ornaments that we didn't know about. <laughs> so, you know, when we did the original inventory, we didn't literally open every single box. We opened the big boxes and then we would look for the SKU number on the side of the box and say, okay, it, it would say like 12 pieces and then it would have the SKU number. Yeah. So that's how we counted them up and put them in. Well, what we're finding is like buried in some of these boxes are, you know, multiple SKU numbers that we just didn't realize. And so he's still pulling things out. And then my mom will show me a photo or something, you know, and be like, 
Uh, we found another ornament. It's <laughs> hilarious. Like every other week, there's just a new one that we didn't know about. Oh my gosh. That's wonderful. I just, yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah. Again, like it's just great to get the updates too when these are selling. Well, I'm, I don't even have to say that I hope because I know that that story was worth it if someone uh, listened this far and, and stuck <laughs> through my my boring software company that I'm running to get to the story of only ornaments and how you ended up with these. Uh, I will I will never forget this this amazing way that you came about three th- or spending three thousand dollars to own one hundred fifty thousand ornaments is just amazing. Oh, man, it's the best. Uh, all right, so let's it's such a good conversation too. Oh yeah, you know? it's just amazing. Um, let's, uh, let's finish up here. So last episode, the thing that you were moving the needle on in life was going to be sleep. So you haven't uh, specifically started that yet, but, um, is there another thing that you're going to be trying to move the needle on that you want to chat about? No, I'm very intentionally not going to do multiple things. So, so sleep is going to be my thing for the next 30 days or so. Okay. Um, I do have my sleep mask, which by the way, I'll show you which one I bought, but it was $10 on Amazon. I can swing that. Um, that's so, uh, you might want to get in on this, but that's all right. Yeah. Yeah. So my big thing is, is figuring this sleep thing out, but I will say something that has been on my mind related to sleep is this whole chiropractic, uh, (laughs) thing I've been going down on Instagram that you know about. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. I would yeah. like to set this up. So, okay. uh, we, we, con- you know, we text message probably every couple of days and sometimes it's like random stuff. A lot of times it's sports stuff. We're coming to the end of basketball season. So we're, you know, it's going to have to be random stuff. Now we don't have any sports things to talk about, but <laughs> you randomly sent me a text that was like, I'm getting really into chiropractors on Instagram. <laughs> and I was confused if that was for me, but I should have known that it was only probably for me. And I was like, I need to know more. Please send me what you're talking about. Cause I don't even understand what this means. Like, is it just that you like to see their offices? Like I really, I had no idea what you were getting into. And cause you have a myriad of businesses. So I was like, okay, well, I know you work with doctors and surgeons. So like, maybe you're just like, I don't know, you're nerding out on it. No, no. Mm -hmm. You're Mm -hmm. obsessed with these chiropractors that do these like wacky adjustment videos. And they're like, you know, pulling someone's neck at the speed of a cheetah running after a gazelle. And you just, it's the, some of the weirdest stuff that you can watch number one online, but also just on Instagram. And I am obsessed, dude. <laughs> I'm watching way too, I don't give a crap about Instagram at all. But, and I never look to see what my friends are posting. Yeah. But I am obsessed with chiropractic adjustments on Instagram. <laughs> can I, and I don't know why. Can I, uh, how are you managing this, uh, this viewership of this? Like, have you started following all these accounts and now, oh, yeah. now no, they, hashtags. they outnumber? Oh, so you're following hashtags. Oh, I'm following hashtags. Yeah, big time. Interesting. Big time chiropractic hashtags over here. I have never so, followed a hashtag. This is news oh, to me. Really? No. I only, I basically only follow hashtags. I almost never follow people. Yeah. So I follow like comedy hashtags. Mm-hmm. So like stand-up comedy. So I see little snippets of stand-up. And then I follow chiropractic hashtags and I follow like, you know, design hashtags. Yeah, that's pretty much all I do is follow hashtags. Interesting. All right. Well, maybe maybe from your, I'm, I'm not going to follow the chiropractor ones. I did, however, I will admit, 
as I started watching, I had to keep watching. And that's why I oh, know you I can't look yeah, away. Yeah, that's why I know I can't start following that because yes. it'll be a train wreck that I don't want to get aboard. Um, so here's my thing about chiropractors, though, that I wanted to mention related to the sleep, which is I've always had a ton of back problems mm-hmm. my whole life, and I still have a lot of back problems. I am wondering if part of my sleep problem is my back and if chiropractic work would do me any good. Mm. So so I'm kind of thinking I'm going to try the mask first because I don't want to have too many variables. Yeah. But my next step might just be going to the chiropractor and letting him film me on Instagram mm. uh, and posting a little chiropractic adjustment. The other thing I'm interested in is I may get my chiropractic license. Oh, you want to just throwing that out? You want to? Well, I could see that. I mean, yeah. There's there's something going on there that I'm a little too into this. <laughs> I did watch for me to just let this go. I did watch one guy who hosts like weekly seminars where he teaches people his practice, and watching them all do chiropractic movements on thin air just I, it was culty for me. Like I was like, uh oh, where's I, who's drinking the Kool Aid because. It's like there's 27 people who are just like swinging their arms wildly and there's no one around. And I'm like, oh yeah, right. yeah, this guy's, he's got him yeah, roped in. it does in. look like that. Yeah. It does look Okay. Like so what's going on with you? What's your personal movement? Uh, that's, that's amazing. I just have to say uh, that that's really just something. I don't know that I can even come close to topping that. The, um, it's a little bit of a, a business, but life thing uh, as well. I love these little challenges. Like I've, I've done 30 day challenges for a long time. And the one that is for some reason, just like top of mind, I can't stop thinking about it is I want to read the top seven marketing books on Amazon in seven days and then record a video about the books. But then also like, did I have any big aha moments? Because we talked about books on a previous episode and we talked about how sometimes they fit really nicely into like a part of your life. But I'm really curious if if I were to read, you know, like Seth Godin's going to have one of those books. And then I've already looked at some of them. I'm going to skip over some of the like 101 things you need to know about social media marketing. I don't give a crap about that. But I want to read these seven books and I want to find a couple things. I want to see if there are patterns that go across all of them that I haven't figured out myself through all of my different, you know, over a decade of online business ventures. Um, I want to find out if I've been shortchanging my own businesses by not doing enough marketing, because I think sometimes we can get, we can fall easily into the trappings of what's comfortable and what's easy, as opposed to maybe doing some stuff that does actually work and you just, you don't do it because you, it doesn't come easy to you. And then I also want to see if I can call some bullshit on some of these two. And just because getting to the front page of of a result on Amazon, I know is a lot of a game. It's not so much of just you wrote a great book, hence why the 101 social media marketing books are on that page. But I also want to just kind of go through and and share with people um, this, you know, like this is the marketing book that I think you should read based on my experience reading like, you know, the first seven books that are the most important, you know, in seven days and actually like cramming it in. Um, so my goal is to do this in the next couple of weeks, probably after the NBA finals are over is I think when I'm going to do this, because I'm going to need something to do, you know, even though it's like only one game every other day, but uh, <laughs> to, to sit down, like basically turn everything else off in my life and just crush through these books, take some notes, share what I've learned, see if I actually learn anything, but then also kind of figure out like what could be helpful for other people. Yeah. So I am very curious to see what you come up with because I would consider you to be 
you know, one of the forward minds on marketing. Like I think you uh, grasp, marketing is a big topic, Mm -hmm. first of all, right? And there's a lot to it. And I think overall you grasp it. And I think also you're very tactical about it. You know, you bring it down to a real practical level. So I am curious to know, uh, to find out what you discover and what you think is worthwhile or not. And also because I have this I just don't find business books to be very useful. Mm -hmm. So in general, and so I'm curious from that standpoint too, where is there good stuff out there still? Or, you know, and am I being too harsh or uh, is a lot of it BS? Yeah. You know, which I, which I tend to believe it is. So I, I'm actually kind of curious what you discover here. Yeah. Well, and I do appreciate the compliment. I also think too, because you and I have, started and run so many businesses. And we've also worked with so many other business owners. I mean, I think we're two of the rarest people who can say that we've worked with hundreds upon hundreds, you know, probably mm-hmm. over a thousand, each of us business owners in our time that you, 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 you know, all the marketing things that actually do work. And I wonder if it's one of those things where it's like, we breathe that thing. Like it's a natural thing for us to understand. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, and I, I think for someone who might pick up a marketing book, they read it as almost like a third language. Like it's not even a second language. Yeah, it's like, I don't even know where to start with this. So I am really curious because I I do, I have not read a a nonfiction book, not even a non, not even a business book, just not even a nonfiction book in over two years now. I've just been on this huge fiction train, um, which has been great because I've just really enjoyed it. But um, getting back into it and kind of forcing myself to stay on one topic and one thing, I think it'll be really interesting to see kind of what I find. So. Yeah, I, I like that concept too. You know, take one topic and break it down. Yeah, um, see what so, you discover. Yeah, should be fun. But yeah, so that- I'll tell you for our next episode, I want to share my marketing tactic that I think is somewhat unconventional that I'm using for my first online course. Ooh, um, that I also use for my consulting, which is yet to be an online course. But I think it's somewhat interesting. So. Um, I'll, I'll share that in our next episode. All right. Sounds good. That's a nice, that's a nice cliffhanger. We'll leave it there. Uh, thanks everybody for listening to another episode of move the needle. And we hope that maybe this gave you some ideas to move the needle in your own business or your own life, or you just really enjoyed that ornament story. (laughs) See ya until next time. 